I mean, let's face it. You know, the, the next day, the new, a new shift's going to pick up the ball at, you know, at eight o'clock or seven o'clock, depending on when your shift change is. But, uh, you know, we want to leave that organization in a better space. You know, my dad always talked about, um, you know, that you want to plant trees that you'll never sit in the shade of. You know, just think about what that quote means. And it's, it's the whole concept of legacy. Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of the Kitchen Table Leadership Conversations podcast. In this podcast, we sit down with leaders and mentors around the region to talk all things leadership. We call it the Kitchen Table because we know some of the best conversations that take place in the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. And the goal with this podcast is to focus that kitchen table energy into talking leadership. I am your host, Berlin Mazza. Today, our very first guest speaker, most of you know, a leader in many ways. This individual has climbed the ranks from firefighter to now deputy fire chief. He has spent many years serving Local 1352, the Washington State Council, and has worked for the IAFF. This is a leader that hardly needs an introduction, Deputy Chief Bill Mack of East Pierce Fire and Rescue. Welcome, Bill. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, thanks Berlin. Hey, man, great introduction. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, You know, let me first off saying... Thanks for doing this. I think it's something that's been, uh, we know, we've talked about when I was in training um, back in the day. Um, I love the concept of this podcast, you know, the kitchen table. I think that uh, for me, the kitchen table means a lot. You know, when I was growing up, I, my dad was an army officer and my mom worked for the postal service, you know, and dinner time for us was a really intentional time for the family. And we got together and, you know, in fact, my mom had a bell, she'd ring it and you, you better be coming to the table. And, uh, you know, we'd sit and we'd talk about life and, and uh, what's going on in our in our world um and that's something that i kind of continued uh, with my family you know raising my boys it was like dinner time was really special time you know we turned the tv off um you know we'd stack our cell phones and we kind of talk about the day we talk about sports we talk about life um and if you're at the mac house at dinner time you know you sat at that table you didn't have to eat but you had to kind of be be intentional and be there um, you know, that's something that I think is kind of a little bit of a lost art uh, in the fire service. You know, I think then we'll talk a lot about this probably later in the podcast. But, you know, I think it's really important for people to be around that table, that beanery table, that kitchen table in the fire in the fire station. You know, I've had probably some of my funniest moments and probably some of my hardest, most difficult conversations around that table. It's safe. You know, it's uh, it doesn't have rank or policy uh, there. And it's something cool. So thanks for doing it. I love the name. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, Bill. Um, well, before we dive too much into the, to the much anticipated leadership discussion, let's uh, tell us a little bit more about Bill. Where does Bill come from? Tell us about Bill's family. Tell yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think a lot of you probably I, I, yeah, know me, but uh, um, I was got married 32 years ago. I better get that right. I uh, built a house in Bonnie Lake about 25 years ago. With my family, my raised three boys. They all went to Bonnie Lake High School, graduated, and uh, they've all graduated college, which is a big, you know, big moment in my life. You know, that I think that that's a, one of the marks of success is moving that that forward. They're all in committed relationships. You know, one of them's married, one of them's uh, engaged, and, you know, they're all they're all uh, doing really, really well. And I think I think maybe they've all even paid for their college. So I think that it's good. So we're empty nesters now. You know, in that time, I've coached baseball, I've coached football at multiple levels, at the club level, middle school and high school level. 
Um, you know, my boys were all athletes and really involved. They've been involved in the community for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's nice to be able to uh, be, be working there too. So that's, I mean, I guess that's a little bit about me. Well, perfect. So with that, so Bill, you said uh, you've been married 32 years. You got started in the fire service shortly after getting married. Well, what, what got you interested in the fire service? Let's see. I won't really, I mean, bore you with too many details, but, um, you know, my family moved from uh, Anchorage down to, you know, Northwest. My dad was stationed at Fort Lewis. Um, you know, if you ask the, uh, I really wasn't the young guy who really, you know, had fire trucks and thought that that's what I was going to be from, from, from young. I mean, if you ask the high school bill, what he was going to do, he'd tell you he'd play in the NFL. Um, you know, if you ask Bill's dad, what he was going to do, he'd be going in the army and being an army officer. Um, you know, I had a uh, kind of a career ending injury there freshman year of college and I kind of went in a little dark space. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, you know, slide the timeline forward a little bit. I was working retail and doing a bunch of just other jobs, non-career jobs. Um, and, uh, you know, my brother said, hey, you should come up and check this out. My brother, when we left Anchorage, he stayed behind, graduated high school and he became an Anchorage firefighter guy in the mid 80s. And uh, he said, hey, you need to come up here and check out this job. You'll love the teamwork aspect of it. And I did a ride along. This is like 91, 90-ish. Um, and I uh, did a ride along with him and really kind of fell in love with the job there. Really saw what it meant. Uh, kind of the rest is history. Come back down to Washington. I took like six different departments tests. I was lucky to have a few job offers. And uh, City of Auburn was the first one. Um, so I was kind of loyal that they gave me my first offer. And uh, I, I feel finished on the top of their hire list. So I think of Auburn Fire Department in 92, graduated from 92-4, probably arguably the best uh, Washington State uh, recruit academy ever. Uh, I'm looking at Chief Barker when I say that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we I came back here and hired in 92. I started a union work really early in my career. You know, 95, I started negotiating contracts with, uh, you know, 1352 on the negotiations team. You know, I was promoted fairly early uh, in my career, about eight years into my career. I got promoted to captain. I worked about 12 years or so in South Auburn. And, you know, that, that gave me a good opportunity. South Auburn at that time was super busy. You know, we went on a lot of calls, went on a lot of fires, went on a lot of, uh, you know, accidents and, shootings um and so i got a lot of experience there working uh, that station um in south auburn you know during that time i continued with union work i was on about every position on 1352's executive board uh, eventually started with the state council i got promoted to battalion chief i'm knowing kind of going back and forth there but that's kind of how my life feels sometimes between the hats mm -hmm. i wore um Got, got promoted to battalion chief, shift battalion chief for a couple of years, and then I got an opportunity to uh, come work at the South King County Fire Training Consortium. Um, and that's really where we met and, you know, really helped uh, them uh, for four years. I was a, you know, training chief here. I did operations and EMS training. And then went back to Auburn as a shift BC and then got an opportunity about a year and a half ago to kind of change departments. Um, I went to East Pierce Fire and Rescue as a deputy fire chief and, uh, you know, got an opportunity to come back to my community a little bit. So, wow, uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Been through a lot, Bill. So you did say you got hired in 92, so that's nearly 31 years ago now. It's a very different time back then, to say the least. Um, I think you'd agree that uh, understanding history and perspective is, is important for everybody. I know a little bit later you're going to talk a little bit about alignment versus agreement to elaborate on that a little bit later but with that in your experience bill since 92 a lot has changed right we're in a different community today different fire service but what would you say um to our listeners you know so they can understand a little bit of history and perspective what are some of the some of the big changes that you've seen over the last 30 years in your career 
Yeah, I mean, I don't even know really where to start. I mean, there's been all kinds of changes in technology and better gear and equipment, you know, the stuff that we're wearing, the stuff that we're driving in, the stuff that we are doing, you know, a lot of work in health and wellness and talking about mental health. You know, I just had a presenter the other day talking to our East Pierce folks about mental wellness, um, cancer prevention, all that stuff's happened. Um, but I'll say that uh, I, I, I think we're in a weird space in the fire service right now. Um, you know, back 30 years ago when I hired on, you know, you rode around on an aid car with, a, you know, a 15 year guy, 12 year guy. And he would, you know, he grew up in the city. You know, he went to Auburn High School. He grew up in Auburn. He would tell you, don't go there. We had a fire there. He'd show you parking lots of buildings that, that he burned down. Um, you know, all that stuff happened back then. And you had that, that institutional knowledge that rolled around with you. You know, I think about it today, you know, I look at my medic units and aid cards are out there, you know, and you'll have a three-year guy and a one-year guy riding around together. And I'm not necessarily saying that's bad, but that's different. You know, the, the three-year guy lives in Idaho and the one-year guy lives in Bothell. And, you know, neither one of them really have connections to those communities. So I think as leaders, um, you know, that, that puts us in a weird space and we have to, we have to respect that. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about it. I think in the podcast, I, I'm thinking about some of the questions you sent me, but, and, and the other thing is we've, we've spent so much time with, with hiring and teaching um, new firefighters. You know, I think my ops chief the other uh, day, we had this conversation. He said that, you know, East Pierce Fire and Rescue, we've hired 71 firefighters in the last five years. You know, and that's crazy to think that's about 40 percent of my workforce has less than five years of experience. And again, I'm not saying that that's wrong or right, but I think that we've concentrated so much over the last few years. A lot of our departments in training and in recruit academies and bringing onboarding of new firefighters, we've kind of forgotten that 10, 15 year firefighter. You know, the guy who's really taking those next steps. Uh, the guy who really wants to be an emerging leader like you talk about you know that's why i think programs like this and emerging leaders and you know some of the other programs that are out there for people are so important but we're also relying now that used to come from within the department we're kind of relying on you to be self-motivated to go out and get that education and find those focus groups and have these communications well i think Bill, you said something very important there something that we should spend a little bit of time on you mentioned uh you know having you know Forty uh, percent of your department under five years. Talk about you know uh, your eight car personnel less than five years of experience. I mean, I don't know about your department, but our department we're we're seeing an eight car with you know two individuals on it with you know less than two years. Sometimes you know one year and two days. Something I think we we should all recognize, not just as leaders, but as everybody, is we do have different generations in the fire service. Someone told me the other day we got four different generations in the fire service now, right? We got. You know, you got the, uh, you know, the baby boomers that are, you know, for the most part, they're, you know, your chief officers, chief decision makers in the department, and you got your, you know, your Gen X uh, individuals who are, you know, your upcoming leaders, your, your, your new battalion chiefs, your, your, your training officers, and you got, you know, millennials, you know, people like me, you know, I got hired 14 years ago, and, you know, people still laugh, like, you know, and you can't believe millennials is, can't believe millennials that, and, you know, not only are we, you know, we have those in the fire service, but we got, you know, the Gen Zs entering the fire service now, you know, those are, that are you know 25 years and younger so i think it's just recognizing that there is a generational gap more so than i think we've ever had in the fire service and um as leaders to navigate the different ways um you know to teach to mentor to lead right because there are different ways to learn especially when we're talking about generational gaps and if we don't recognize that i think we're all going to suffer so with that uh, as we talk leadership and opportunity bill so what are your keys when you're talking to you know somebody that you're mentoring or someone that you're talking to what are the keys to an emerging leader nowadays yeah, I, I mean, I think I'll break it down to a few just basic, I think, um, 
keys for me. Um, one is be uncomfortable. I think that being uncomfortable um, really strengthens you as a leader. Um, you know, remember that leadership is, is a learned skill. You know, this whole concept that there's there's not natural born leaders. There really are not. That you're you're born with certain tendencies and a certain world, and you grow. And leadership is really that that learned skill. You know. Um, and, and using another little quote, I guess, um, you know, they say that Rome wasn't built in a day. Well, leadership's not built in a day either. So leadership needs to be something that you work on, that you learn, that you look at other people, you think, take things from them that you like and you don't like, and you kind of make your own world. Um, but I think one of the things that's really important for you is, is this concept of being uncomfortable and kind of getting outside your, you know, people talk about your, your, your comfort zone there. Um, I think the other thing that's really important is just being there right for people I, I will tell you i'm a relational leader i like to be able to have conversations and talk to people obviously that's you know what we're doing today and one of the hardest things i find sometimes in being a leader is just finding time to lead because you know you have a quantity of time there's 24 hours in a day we all know that you know you can only work so many hours at that 24 hours you know you get exhausted but i think that um you really have to think a think a lot about the quality of time you know and so if you're there you know hey i'm i'm not going to share a code i yeah i've worn a lot of hats you know, i've been a husband a father a coach you know i've been a union leader a company officer you know sometimes i'm wearing multiple those in multiple of those roles kind of at the same time and it, it definitely can be overwhelming to think about that but really be kind of be there for people you know use that quality time you know, one of the things I, I, I have, and this sounds funny, um, but, you know, I have, a, I have a candy jar in my office. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons it's there is because I tell people, hey, if I'm in my office and you're walking by and you want to stop by and get a piece of candy and chop it up with me for a little bit and talk about life and, you know, what's going on in your world, I love it, man. I think that's awesome. Uh, and believe it or not, I have some regular visitors who come in for those fireballs and those lemon heads, right? Um but I also tell people, hey, if you want my time and, and attention, because I want to give you quality time, you know, um, schedule that with me. If you need 15, 20 minutes, if you need a half hour, an hour uh, of my time, then schedule it on my calendar so that I can be intentional and be there for you. I can come out from around my desk. I can put my phones down. I can pay attention to what you're saying and give you that quality time. And, and that's that can be sometimes hard to do, but I think it's really important uh, uh, as a leader to be there for people. Um, and then last, I think you, you got to be honest, right? I mean, uh, people see it all the time. People people respect you being honest. And that's probably a skill that I, I honed while I was in training. You know, a lot of times when we would do a drill or something, you know, um, but let's use the example of after action review. How many times have you as a young firefighter sat in the after action, gone to a call, um, kind of completely messed up the call. Um, and then you go to the after action review, kind of expecting some, you know, constructive thought there. And, uh, you know, the chief officer of the IC or someone said, oh, you know, the fire went out and no one got hurt. Good job. And pats everyone on the back and everyone walks out of the after action review. Um, I think you lose some credibility of a leader if you're not honest, because people people know when they mess up and they kind of expect you to bring that up and they kind of expect to learn from that that fact. And so I think being honest is, is hard. Um, and it's tough, but it's something that I would tell all leaders to do. Funny you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the uh, the candy jar, and you talk about you know the fireballs. You know, for those that's not talking about that fireball, I know back in the day there was a little. I think if, if, if I if I hear you correctly, there's a little red spicy little candy. So I think the honesty part is so important. I know you'll hit this hard in episode two, 
and constructive leadership. Yes, listeners, that's your, that's your teaser for episode two. We've locked in Bill for one more episode, hopefully more. Um, but yeah, that honesty part is so important. I mean, if you're not honest with yourself and not honest with others, how do you make meaningful progress? I mean, I, I know you've read the book um, by David Goggins. He talks about you got to just be honest with yourself because how do you, if you know, if you if you if you're no good, just just say it. You're no good, but you know, figure out a way to get better. You know, it's playing sports. You know, if you're if you're not the starter on the team, you know, why not? You know, you might have to do this or that and you know just be honest with yourself what do you need to improve on and just you know be intentional about it and you know and make it happen what i do want to ask is um, you're talking about being uncomfortable right you mentioned um you know you gotta you get out of your comfort zone you know to to make progress to get better um reminds me of that picture and i know i think you know what i'm talking about bill is that picture of that circle right there's a circle and then uh, metaphorically speaking there's the word you know grow or lead inside right and if you think about it if you're, if you're trying to grow, you're trying to lead people, you're trying to lead yourself, but you're stuck inside that circle and that circle, you know, being the metaphor of your comfort zone, how do you grow? I mean, how do you lead when you're stuck inside that zone? So moral of the story is, you know, get out of your comfort zone and tune into episode two. But with that, so Bill, let's let's, let's stay on that just a little bit more. You, you, you said uncomfortable. So would Bill be Bill today? He stayed comfortable through his career? Nah, man, there's, there's, there's no way I'd be who I am today. You know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think about times in my in my career that I've been uncomfortable. And I think about when I come out of that, um, how much better I've been. You know, I mean, I was uncomfortable going into training as a, as, you know, as a fairly new BC, um, you know, and I when I left training, I felt so much better as a as a battalion chief, as an incident commander, because I had spent all that time, you know, kind of honing in my skills um, and being being a uh, being a training officer. Probably my most recent example is me leaving um, Valley. You know, this is, I was super uncomfortable, man. I mean, I was, let's just say I was comfortable in my role at Valley. I was a shift battalion chief, easily done that job for the rest of my career and rolled off into the sunset as I moved um, completely into a different into a different world. And I was uncomfortable. I, I mean, I sat and stared at my computer screen for a couple of months, like, man, what did I do kind of a deal. Um, but I'll tell you today, I am a better chief officer than I was when I left uh, Valley. Um, just, I know I've had different experiences, you know, shoot, I've, you know, I've helped with selling bonds, I've helped with building fire stations, I've helped with hiring, I've helped with discipline, you know, I've done a lot of stuff today that from a different angle than I did before. And I, I guarantee you, I'm a better leader today than I, than I would have been if I would have stayed uh, in that comfort zone. Well, thank you, Bill. So I do want to, uh, you to take us a little bit more on the Bill Mack journey of leadership. So you talked about all the different roles that you played, right? You, you know, two different departments. You were in the training division two different times. Was part of the you know the regional training division. You helped build fire stations, um, served the union. You all these key leadership roles. Explain the importance or the value at least of that. Is it perspective, experience? Yeah, I mean, really, I think you really kind of hit the nail on the head there when you talked about perspective. You know, I I think that. Uh, having that diverse resume really helps strengthen you as a leader and as a person, you know, and it gives And by the way, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, being a shift BC or being a station captain or an engineer on a fire engine is, is a bad space to be. Like, I don't think that, you know, I mean, I think that's great if that's where you want to be, but I do think that find other ways to, to, to do that. If you're an engineer, find ways like teaching pump, or doing some other role to start allowing you to have some of these other angles in life. But perspective really gives you a foundation of kind of understanding different ways of looking at things. 
you know, that it gives you different angles and different ways of looking um, at different points of view and allows you kind of to build uh, decisions based on on being a little bit a wider, a broader way of looking at things. Um, the other thing I think the perspective does is it, it kind of lends credibility to, to you because you've been there. You know, someone who um, is asking me, hey, about something, if I've been there and if I've done it, it allows me a little bit of credibility with him that he knows that I've been there. I kind of think about, you know, as an, as an Army officer, you know, it's tough coming through, you know, OCS or officer cannon school and then becoming, you know, going to battle with your guys. It's really tough to have them run out into the battlefield with bullets flying over their heads if you've never had that experience. Um, and so I think that you have a lot more credibility if you've been, you know, battle tested and then now you're trying to lead people. So I think that perspective gives you credibility and then it allows you to kind of build relationships too, right, with people. You know, that that if you have different perspectives, you can sit down and you can work on building building that relationship. You know, I think that you, you shouldn't forget where you've been as a leader and always think about building upon each of those little tiny relationships. And it's really helped me in my career. You know, it's really nice to be able to have someone come to me with a project or a problem and go, dude, I got someone, you know, that can help us there. Well, it's funny, you, uh, as you continue to talk about relationships and, you know, get out of your comfort zone. You mentioned earlier about the candy jar, and I do want to touch on that since we didn't spend any time there. So I knew you heard, had a question about it. Heard a little bit of uh, Coach Mel Tucker out of there, uh, out of that. Mel Tucker out of uh, Michigan State, who uh, UW just beat two weeks ago. So Go dogs. Yep. But the candy jar, you mentioned the candy jar, you know, you have in your office. You know, people will come in, they'll chit-chat with you. Some are there literally just for the candy or the fireballs. Some, some people are there just, you know, intentionally to want to, you know, talk to you. You know, you work in an office, you're there, you know, four or five days a week. You know, for us, uh, many of your listeners here, we're, you know, shift shift officers, right? We were there for a day, off for a couple, uh, there for a day. So we don't have that office of that candy jar where people can come and go, right? We're there for that day. So I guess metaphorically speaking, how do we have that that candy jar? Yeah, I, great. I mean, the candy jar really is just a lure out there, right? To get people to intentionally come in or have a reason to come into my office. Um for the emerging leaders out there, I mean, I'm not saying you need to do that trick or will that trick work for you, um, but I do think you need to find your candy jar. You know, I think about what other things I've done in my career, you know, so probably some of the best conversations I've had, um, the best sermons I have been on the church of the tailboard, right? So, I mean, my crew and I would go out and do a drill. Well, the drill would have two parts to it. Drill would be to learn better how to do our job, but part two of the drill would be, um, to be able to have that intentional moment to, with my crew to talk about whatever it is we need to talk about, you know, maybe it's a policy change or maybe it's a, you know, Hey, you know, whatever it is, uh, it gave us that intentional time. You know, I also think about, you know, the seven 11 uh, comment. Yeah. I think about it like for some reason in Auburn, it seems like every fire station has a seven 11 really close to it. So, you know, in the summer times at stage 32 in South Auburn, a lot of times we, I'd go over and buy, you know, surgeries for everybody. And then we would just roll chairs out on the apron, have the doors open and just, you know, talk on those hot summer nights. I've had some of the best conversations on that apron and they, they don't have to be about work, but just conversations and making connections with people, you know, so maybe that's what you do. You know, I, I think you just as a, as a leader have to figure out how are you going to be, you know, I mean, you talk about it. We talked about the other day when we we're having coffee, you know, you're like, hey, I feel like I'm uh, stuck in my office all the time, you know, as a lieutenant at the station. 
Well, that's that to me, I think, is you got to find an intentional time to get up out of your chair, get out of your office and go meet with your crew. And that's your candy jar. Maybe it's not them coming to you. I'm luring people into my office, uh, but maybe it's you coming out and having that intentional time. So that's the way it is. Find your candy jar. It's funny you mentioned the 7-Elevens. Uh, those of you in North King County, he says on rescue being one. We don't have 7-Elevens out there, Bill. So uh, <laughs> we're talking about going to frozen yogurt or high-end Starbucks, stuff like that. So some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, it's uh, it's what we call hot coffee time. So this is a hot topic. What podcast would be a podcast without talking talking about something a little controversial or just some kind of hot topic? So switching gears a little bit. So let's talk the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's been challenging for leaders to say the least. Uh, you and I have talked about this. Uh, the pandemic's took a toll on organizations, society, industries of all kinds. Uh, you and I talked the other day about the pandemic and how it has changed the fire service forever. Share a little bit about you know our discussion. Yeah. Um, well, first off, I know that, it, and I don't want to freak everyone out here, but you know I've done a lot of work in the whole DEI world, and I know we've talked about it, and it's it's been an area that I've worked on for you know a good ten years, last 10, 15 years, looking at ways of creating a diverse workforce and you know equity equity. And I when you know when we talk about that, just I don't want people to turn off their turn off their Zoom right now, but I, but. You know, I do want to say that we've worked really hard to change the face of the fire service and the employee that works here. Um, and here comes the hot topic part. You know, you mentioned that there is uh, four generations that are in the fire in the fire station right now. They're working together. Um, and to be honest, this whole COVID mandatory vaccination and all this stuff really is a diversity problem. You know, when you think about it from a leadership standpoint, meaning that, you know, 30 years ago, we'd been in the fire station, a medic would have walked through with the COVID vaccination, popped everyone on the arm while you're on shift and you would have gone home and been like, man, I got vaccinated. I don't even know what that means. You know, I'm putting it pretty simple, but you know, today is different. You know, today is not that world. Our employees are saying, whoa, stop, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Let me think about this. What's the why behind this? Let's communicate about this. And so as leaders, I think, you know, we, we have to think about that, you know, that we have a different workforce. You know, it's tough for me to have a, you know, a firefighter, 12 year firefighter come into my office, look me in the face. And I'm going to preface this by first by saying, you know, I am, a, I believe in vaccination. I, I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted, all that stuff. Right. Do I think that the public has a little saying that we should be vaccinated? Probably. Do I think that it worked? Yeah. The numbers show that it worked. Our percentage of vaccinated population went up after we did things like making it mandatory. But I will say it's really tough. The other part I got to think about is that, you know, a 12 year firefighter who's a sole breadwinner for five, you know, five people in his household who's willing to give up his job because he doesn't want to get a, a shot to me. I have to pause for a second as a leader and go, whoa, like that's a big deal. You know, I can't say that I necessarily can change the outcome, right? Because I have a boss, everyone has a boss, right? And everyone has different pressures and things that put onto them. But it should make me at least pause and have that communication and try to do whatever I can do, you know, mm -hmm. to make accommodations or to do whatever I can do um, and communicate with them that yes or no, you know, that I can do that. But so, so I think that's the hot topic thing. I think that when we talk about, and I know a plan you have downstream is to have another podcast talking a little bit about diversity, but you know, this was our first real diversity challenge uh, was the COVID vaccination. So I'm going to venture a guess here, Bill, and please tell me if I'm way off base, but leadership today has got to be harder now more than ever, right? In every industry, in every organization, uh, as we talk about the post-pandemic with the mass retirements, the mass hirings, mass turnover, 
you know, societal changes, the murder of George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement, the list goes on and on. Leadership, especially in the public sector, has got to be more challenging now than ever. But that also means there's no bigger opportunity for emerging leaders to step up and lead intentionally, I think. A great metaphor I learned a while back was a quote from Chief Anthony Castro out of Sacramento Metro. He said, leadership is like parenting. As a parent, you don't get the luxury of choosing when and where to parent, right? The time to parent is now. And when parenting gets tough, what do parents do? They ask other people who have kids what work for them. They might call their parents, maybe their friends who have kids. They look for some advice. They'll read parenting books, maybe do some research on how to become a better parent, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what the chief was saying is if leaders treat leadership like parenting, we'd be in a better place, right? Like when leadership gets tough, you know, reach out to people who have been there, talk to other leaders, seek advice, read a book, attend a class, find out ways on how to lead better. I mean, let's face it, we don't get to choose the people or the crew we work with every day, right? I heard a quote uh, once and it said, leadership is easy when you're leading people who are just like you. But, but real leadership takes place when you learn to lead people who aren't like you. I thought that was very powerful. Um, so with that, Bill, you being a mentor to so many, you must have inspirations of your own. Tell us about a person, an author, or a book that inspired you. Yeah, man. I Of course, I have a, a gazillion kind of mentors, and I think that it changes a little bit depending on what, what my needs are. But, you know, my number one um, mentor um, would be my dad. You know, I think that uh, I look at him, and, and it's funny that that he's that I put him there, um, really, because if you knew – you know, if you knew Pearlie Mac, you know, he was he was a gregarious guy, but he also was an army officer and very strict, you know, black and white was the world. Um, and so he was very different in in the way I think. Um, and, and it's one of the reasons why I chose to not follow his path that way. But now that I look back on it, you know, the, his thought process and the way that he led, he's definitely a, a mentor of me and he's really shaped and changed, you know, my behaviors. Um, Let's see, you want a book or something. So right now, and this has been a book for a little bit that I usually start with emerging leaders with, um, and that's a book called Legacy. It's by James Kerr. It, uh, James Kerr is a, is a novelist to a business scholar who kind of dedicated a year of his life. He followed the New Zealand All Blacks. And for those who don't know, the New Zealand All Blacks is obviously uh, New Zealand's uh, national rugby team. Um, anyone who knows anything about sports know that they have the highest winning percentage of any professional sports team out there. I mean, since like 1903, they've won over close to 80% of all of their uh, matches that they've won. They've won. I mean, they're multiple uh, national champions. They uh, have been in the top, you know, the, the top three for the last 20 years um, with, with most of the time being number one in the world. Um, so they're an incredible organization. And so what James Curry has followed them around to say, hey, why are they so successful? You know, what's at the core of their culture? You know, what is their, you know, what is their standards? What is their organizational um, culture and how did they make it work? Right. And so he kind of put it all. It's an easy read. Um, you know, you can e easily knock it off your list. But um, I think it's been great. You know, that whole concept of the name itself, you know, legacy, it really talks about one of the things New Zealand All Blacks talk about is is leaving that jersey in a better space. Right. Leaving that jersey in a better place for the next player to pick up and, and, and go. I think that's a goal of you know me and fire service leadership. I think it should be a goal of most of us as leaders is that when we retire, I mean, let's face it. You know, the, the next day, the new a new shift's going to pick up the ball at you know at eight o'clock or seven o'clock, depending on when your shift change is. But uh, 
you know, we want to leave that organization in a better space. You know, my dad always talked about, um, you know, that you want to plant trees that you'll never sit in the shade of, you know, just think about what that quote means. And it's, it's the whole concept of legacy. Mm-hmm. So go out, read the book. If you want to talk about it, look me up. <laughs> Sounds like uh, sales on Amazon going up right about now. Uh, no, it's interesting you say that um, in regards to, you know, the planting of the trees that you won't sit in the shade of. I mean, I think a lot of time, and I'm guilty of this myself, is, we, you know, we want to make meaningful impact, but we want to see the results immediately, right? If we talk about the generations, you know, the millennials, the Gen Zs, we worry about immediate results. I think if we take a step back and realize the work that we do, we may not see the results, but we're trying to make a better future of whether it be this, you know, society or, or our organization. And I think if we just remember that, you know, we'll be leaving a place better, like you said. This is a great segue into what I would call the non-negotiables. We referenced Coach Mel Tucker earlier, head football coach at Michigan State University. A lot of his success stems from some non-negotiables in his program. He's big on leadership and culture, and just like many other highly successful leaders in business or sports or other, uh, there are certain things that no matter the organization uh, that will simply not be tolerated because it can ruin a team, it can ruin a culture, it can ruin a department. As a leader, Bill, what are your non-negotiables? Yeah, well, of course, illegal items are non-negotiables, right? And I mean, and, you know, we can't tolerate workplace violence and bullying and harassment. We can't tolerate stealing or unethical deals yeah. or any real crime, right? So we, we'll throw those out and we'll talk about more of those softer non-negotiables or those things that can be cancerous for organizations like you kind of mentioned. One is I think good, strong organizations have to um, have to they can't be resistant to change. Right. They, they have to be able to have change. Um, we see it all the time. You know, I mean, that's the whole the whole adage in the fire service is that, you know, we're unimpeded by progress. Right. Um, and, and change element is something that all firefighters hate. You know, the, the two things they hate is staying the same and change. So, um, you know, we have to be able to be a little bit more flexible. We have to be a little to be resilient. We got to be able to, um, to, to have that. So one of my non-negotiables would be, you know, just that resistance. So people say, oh, you know, we can't, that'll never work. It, it, it'll it work. It just mm-hmm. takes that trust. It takes mm-hmm. hard work to get. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the concept of alignment. I think that organizations have to be aligned. And I'll use our example. You know, at East Pierce, we have a, a, a command staff meeting every Monday, you know, and oftentimes that meeting lasts two, three hours. And I'm like, man, we meet every week and then that's two or three hours. But really it's because, you know, I want a team around me um, that debates things, that discusses things. You know, I don't want everyone just, you know, saying yes to something. You know, if I bring something up, I ask for your opinion. I, I want you to give me that opinion. You know, I mean, how many times do you sat in the meeting and everyone's either on their phones or on their computers and they're like, any questions? And then the meeting's over and you're like, man, what really even happened? Mm-hmm. I want to have that discussion and dialogue. Like, you know, so I want to have that. But what alignment means is it doesn't necessarily, it's not the same as agreement. Like, Alignment means that when we leave the chief's office and when that door shuts, that we are aligned as a team and knowing what our message is going to be, uh, what we're going to be doing. We have action items. You know, we have a timeline. We have all of that stuff. That's what alignment means. You don't have to 100 percent agree. And I hope you don't 100 percent agree. Um, but I think organizations have to have some type of an alignment, you know, at different levels. Um, and people have to understand where you're where, where you're getting to and where you're going. Um, poor communication is definitely non-negotiable that you got to have good open communication that you can't, um, and that communications is up and down and side to side. Um, 
communications. You got to find ways of, of doing it. And it may be different than the way you always used to do it. You know, fire chief sitting and writing an email to all staff doesn't work. Let's face it. I mean, you get those emails all the time. All staff. Hey, you know, pizzas on Friday or whatever the message may be. No one gets that message, right? Because so you got to start thinking, how can we communicate? You talked about the four generations in the, in the fire service. You got to think about multiple ways of being able to start communicating. That's why I love this podcast idea. I mean, it's just a different way for those people who drive and listen to podcasts and do that kind of stuff. Gives them another opportunity. You know, they probably wouldn't intentionally sign up to go to a class that's going to be held at headquarters to watch a guy speak about leadership. But, you know, they may pick it up and, and listen to while they're working out or walking the dog or driving home, you know, to, the, to their to their palatial house in eastern Washington. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last is that failure to compete. Like, I think it's really important for organizations to compete. And I, I don't mean compete. You know, I guess I should uh, talk a little bit about like when I talk about compete for me, I don't have to win. Like I'm not an organ, I'm not the Dallas Cowboys, right? I'm not Jerry Jones. I don't have to win. I'm not going to pour as much money and soul and time and sell my soul to the devil to win, right? But what I don't like is I hate to suck, right? I I hate that feeling of losing and not not being able to be there. So, um, you know, I think that failure to compete means that you're trying to get a little bit better. Like this whole concept that you know, I would need your 110 percent. Now that's all. You know, we know mm-hmm. that's malarkey, right? But all I ask out of Berlin Maza is just to get you know, 10% better each day, you know, 1% better. I don't care. I just want you to move the needle forward and I want you to compete. You know, I think about back when you were, you know, studying for your lieutenant's test. I bet you if I took the the Berlin Maza 48 hours prior to his lieutenant's test and I, he was the best he was going to be at that point in time in his career. Like he knew as much about policy and about personnel problems and tactics as he was going to, as, as he was going to know. I'm not saying that that's ended because he, today he knows way more than he did back then. But I'm saying that guy at that time, because he was competing to be number one, he was competing in a progress and a process. Um, he w- he was knew his job very, very well. So those are the ones resistance to change. You got to be, uh, you know, not being in alignment, poor communications and, and kind of that failure to compete. Oh, I mean, that, that, that's a lot there, Bill. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned the failing to compete. And the first thing that comes to mind for those that are in the sports, I mean, you could think of, you know, those are at the top of their game, right? Whether it be the Michael Jordans, the Roger Federer's, the Kobe's, the Tigers, right? Their mantras were literally getting just a fraction better every day, right? Because everyone is is talented, right? And we're not talking about talent here. We're talking about getting just a little bit better, right? That 1%. Because if you don't, what happens? You're actually getting worse, right? Because your competition, those are around you, your teammates, the, the opponents, they are trying to get better. So in in our work, it's, it's just, just get a little bit better. And then now you imagine, a, you know, an, an organization of two, 300 people, everyone's 1% better each day. And then you, you kind of think about, you know, what are the possibilities? And it's, it's kind of endless at that point. I'll finish it with this last piece. Um, one of my favorite quotes, funny you mentioned the Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry, you know, legendary coach of the Dallas. He says, you encourage what you tolerate, right? As leaders, we've got to look deep down inside. It's, you know, the, the, the behaviors and the actions that we tolerate are actually behaviors and actions that we encourage, right? Because we're telling, we're sending the message that, okay, this and that is okay things that we tolerate is, is actually encouraged behavior. So here, this is what I'm going to call the rapid fire is the coffee top off now. So something I plan on doing each episode with each guest speaker is three questions. So this is three quick action items for our leaders to start doing today to grow better and to grow more as leaders. So Bill, if you will, number one, please talk to the new aspiring leader. This is that formal or informal leader. This could be a new firefighter, a new apprentice, new journey level firefighter, one that's someone young in their career. What's one thing that they could do today? 
to become a strong or to improve uh, fire service leadership. Okay, well, this is probably a combo of a, a couple of things I've talked about already. Um, one is reach out um, and be uncomfortable and go and ask and talk to people that, you know, that you respect or people that were leaders in your organization, um, you know, and listen to them. I mean, when I talk about going and talking to them, I want you to just be that sponge. I mean, how many times in your early part of your career did someone say, hey, you just need to listen? You know, being a listener and a, and a follower is something that I think that's a, a skill very early on you need to learn. And when I talk about listening, I mean, it may even be to the point of taking notes of what they're saying, you know, that you're taking notes and then you're kind of going back to them say, hey, this is what I heard you say. Is this what you mean? Um, so be a good listener. Go and talk to those people that you may be intimidated to have conversations with. Get intentional time with them and uh, um, take all that. You're not going to take everything. You can't take everything that they say and put it into you, but but put it into your Rolodex so that you have the ability to say, hey, I really like this. You know, hopefully out of this podcast and hopefully out of your future podcast, people hear things that they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to try that and see if it works. You know, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to talk at the kitchen table. I'm going to, you know, buy Slurpees at 7-Eleven, you know, something like that. <laughs> frozen yogurts. Yeah, frozen yogurts. All right. Number two, for those emerging leaders out there, we're talking to those in newer leadership roles, newer company officers, that new mentor, that senior engineer. What's one thing they could do today that demonstrates strong fire service leadership? I think never be too big to do the small things. You know, one of the things we talked about that book Legacy earlier, you know, one of the things that they talk about um, as a team is when they have a match, they come back and they spend 20 minutes in the locker room talking about the match, being very specific, intentional, and having that conversation about ways that, that they could be, um, they could do things better or, or not. You know, I, and I think that that's important time, important time. You know, I, I didn't talk about this earlier, but I, I think that uh, I'm going to I'm going to patent the term here. And I think we're going to talk about it later on and maybe one of the future podcasts. I think that's what you were saying. But, you know, people talk about giving people constructive criticism. You know, I think that that has a negative connotation because the word criticism is so strong on the negative spectrum. I like to use a term called constructive leadership, and I think that that's a little bit different. You know, constructive. I think about you know when I was a coach, a football coach. You know, those guys. I, I coached with a guy one time that you know I'd look at him. And I'm like, dude, he's never played football. He doesn't even understand the mechanics of it. And he would just yell at kids. You know, catch the ball and you know be just over the top. And and I had a, I talked to him. I said, dude, you, you know, I don't think that you know those guys meant to drop the ball. Like I really think a right. better deal to do would be to talk to them about, instead of just yelling at them, um, talk to them about better ways of running routes, better ways of catching the ball, better ways of receiving it and, and, and other things. So that's when we talk about constructive leadership. I think that's, that's where I would like for people to really work on is work on ways. Um, and part of that, like I said, is establishing, you know, not being willing to jump in there, getting things done, you know, being part of the team, moving it forward, being constructive at the beginning, and then just letting it go and going back and, and worrying about it. To end that conversation about um, the, the small things, um, like what the New Zealand All Blacks do, after that 20 minutes of, of that constructive leadership, they all, whether you're the manager all the way down to, um, you know, the equipment guy, you know, the water boy, they all go and get brooms and mops and they clean the locker room. We call it sweeping the sheds, you know, so everyone sweeps the shed. It means that everyone's moving this organization forward. We've had our moment to really reflect and have constructive leadership, but now we're going to move move forward um, and it works for them. That's good. Never be too big to do the small things, right? Yeah. Finally, 
those established formal leaders out there. This could be a senior member of the organization, senior officer, senior chief officer, senior company officer. What's one thing that they could do today that demonstrates strong fire service leadership? Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to take the time to kind of create the highest possible operating standards you can and be true to them and demonstrate them. You know, you really have to develop the character of your players. You know, think about ways, you know, again, going back to sports, I can teach you, you know, how to block. I can teach you how to do basic football skills, but what I can teach you are the soft, you know, soft skills. You come in with certain character flaws, certain things that, that, that um, I won't take a risk on. So in your organizations, work on worry, work on those soft skills, you know, um, your fire, your fire officers can learn tactics, right? I can take anyone and teach them how to do that. But what they can learn is those ethical soft skills. And so spend time and be intentional on those and, and hold people to those standards. People want to be held to them. That's perfect. Well, thank you, Bill. So uh, let's get to the Q&A here. So we got a few, I don't have the individual's name, but this comes right out of East Pierce Fire and Rescue. Yours finest. It says, can firefighters get candy? <laughs> they didn't know that uh, you had a candy uh, candy jar in your office. So um, yes, those at East Pierce, and I'm going to throw this out there. Even if you don't work for East Pierce, <laughs> um, you have an open invitation to go into Bill's office to get some candy. So, and I know who wrote that, and, and okay. that's a lie. He's come He's come to my office several times. Okay. So not to put you on the spot. I think his name is Matt. So, all right. Uh, what does having courage mean to you, Bill? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 all of the stuff we kind of talked about earlier, you know, it, having courage. And, and I think that the courage is different depending on the situations. You know, we all, um, anyone who's been in the fire department long enough has had a courageous moment, you know, and that courageous moment can can be something that's that's outward, you know, running into burning buildings. A lot of people would think that is courageous. You know, but the, the smaller things that we do sometimes are, are courageous too. you know, the uh, um, the taking care of the elderly lady who doesn't have family in the area and doing something. You know, we call it customer service, but sometimes I can also be courageous, you know, to make those connections and stuff. For leaders, it's, you know, courageous to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in my own personal, it, it, there's a certain element of courage it took for me to leave an organization that I've been with for almost 30 years to completely uproot myself and put me in, in a new organization. Now that's a little bit of an element of courage, um, but it's part of all the stuff we talked about. It's part of being uncomfortable. It's, it's part of, you know, being aligned. It's part of, you know, being there, you know, courage is, brings itself out in different, in different ways. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for that question. Next question is how do you reset enthusiasm and remain positive as a leader? I mean, I think the only thing you can really concentrate on is yourself. And, you know, leadership in that culture is infectious. And you think about when you've seen crews, um, and we all know, I mean, when, when we were when you were on the drill ground as a train officer and when we were doing multi-company operations and we would watch hundreds of crews come through, you could tell by their leader what the culture and what it looked like. You know, I mean, it, it, at, at the fire station, meaning that you knew crews that were hard charging and very aggressive and, you know, practice their craft and they drilled often, right? They would get out and they were ready to go. And you'd also see crews that get out of the rig and it would take them, you know, two minutes to put their bunker mm-hmm. coat on. They'd have to find their helmet. You know, it's like, oh, my goodness. So when we talk about how, how do you do that, you know, I think that I'm answering the question here. How do you reset mm-hmm. that enthusiasm? It starts with you as the leader. You know, it starts with you coming in and saying, you know what, let's 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 go. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's be better. Yeah. You know, and that's hard. It's hard to do sometimes, but you'll find it, it's infectious. 
right? Mm -hmm. People people really start start going. Just like you know, using the example of working out. You know, if you come in as a captain and say, "Hey, we're going to work out. We're going to do a, a crew workout." You know, it's tough to have that conversation initially, but you can reset that. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it start with you. Yeah, set the example. I set mean, the I example. think I think also it's uh, set an example before you put in that spot, right? I mean, I think you would agree is if you're if you're not the example before you get to that leadership role, and then all of a sudden you're an example. It's like, well, where were you all those other years? So set the example early. So, so some kitchen table talk is negative. I don't think anyone here would disagree with that. Talking about lowering standards. How do you create an attitude for everyone to thrive while maintaining those same high standards? Yeah. And I think that um, that's a good point about the kitchen table that, you know, yes, it can dip into some negative stuff because everyone has different, you know, political views, everyone has different. So I think you got, you do have to establish some lanes, right? Some lanes of things that you allow to have conversation about and things that, you know, you as, as a crew don't talk about, you know, so I think that that's a very good point from that question. Um, and part two, is I think, repeat, let's see, how do you create uh, an attitude for everyone to thrive? And I think part of that creating an attitude to thrive is encouraging conversation, you know, like saying, hey, Berlin, what do you think about this? You know, drawing people in, um, I think a lot of people, and I don't want to make this a generational thing. Um, some of it's a tenure thing that you as probably as a two-year firefighter don't feel comfortable um, engaging in conversation with a person who you feel is a senior firefighter. So as a senior firefighter or as a leader, as an emerging leader in that station, you need to say, hey, you know, encourage that, that participation. You know, sometimes it's easy as, hey, tell me about yourself. Or sometimes it's as easy as some of the questions you gave me, you know, it's like, man, I, I got to think of what I'm going to say. Um, and you get to know a person better. So. Yeah. No, it's funny you say that we were uh, in, a, in, a, in a class or a conference not too long ago. They were talking about the, the responsiveness of others. It's, it's individuals, especially when we talk about seniority, people that are you know newer to the job, low seniority, they, they won't speak up if they feel like the environment is not conducive to, to, you know, to, to, to a good response. Right. What's, the, what's psychological safety? They talk about that in sports. It's like if, you don't, if an individual doesn't feel safe, they won't ask a question. So I think that's important to talk about the environment. You got to create that environment first. Otherwise, people won't speak up. There's a good question here. It says, uh, fire service is easier to get hired now compared to back in the day. There's an influx of uh, new hires without experience. What ways can we embrace this change? Well, number one, attend the DEI podcast that we have. It's going to be episode four or five. So that's number one. Um, but on a more serious note, there's a lot. But I'll let Bill run with this. What are some ways that we can embrace this change with new hires without experience? Yeah, so I think I think first off, we got to change that frame that the question's in a little bit. Um, you know, it says that it's easier to get hired. Um, I don't know that it's easier to get hired. I mean, I, I, I competed with a lot of people to do my test. Now, is the testing process changed? Yes, 100% of the testing process has changed. Um, but I but I do want to just say, I don't necessarily think it's it's easier. It's just different. But there is an influx of new hires. And I think that, you know, we talked about it earlier that it's that that that's one of the things that we have to do as leaders is trying to figure out the ways um, that we we can make those those changes. I'll tell you that even since I've been at East Pierce, we've changed some hiring practice things that, that have, have kind of changed the needle for us. This last group of new hires that we just hired and put into academy. Well, first off, I'm going to say that I had no experience in the fire service when I kicked, you know, when I came in and I've, I've been able to make a pretty good career out of the fire service. So I don't think that it's an experience thing. I think that a part of it is that, it, you know, it, it's it's figuring out how, how do we lead in this new world? And we talked a little bit about it today. And I think that's probably a bigger conversation we're going to have in a later 
So I don't really have a really good answer right now. Stay tuned. Stay uh, tuned. We got two time for two more. So who or what would be a favorite conference or class or presenter that you most align with and value leadership nuggets and why? Yeah, I think it depends on what you're looking for as a leader. You know, I think that uh, this Cusco and, and the Step Up and Lead program that he has is really good. I think that, you know, I have a guy that I work with, Lawrence Garrett, who works for 828, and he does um, conversations on on um, culturally responsive leadership. Uh, you know, he does a lot of DEI work. He's working with, I think, East Side Fire, uh, East Spirits he's worked with, um, South King he's worked with. Um, and so he kind of understands our job and he really talks about that conversation and uncomfortable feelings at fire stations. You know, I think going to any of our conferences, you know, the leadership conference is really good that happens down in Portland. You know, Nola guy, guys uh, go to that. Um, so I should, I don't, I think it depends on what you're looking for to get out of, uh, of the training. You know, if you're looking for tactics training, if you're looking for, you know, specific character training, if you're looking for DEI issues and being culturally responsive, I think those are all different presenters. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So Bill, can you share an example of personal failure and what you learned from and how, or, or how you recovered from it? A little bit of vulnerability here. Wow, man, that's. I mean, let me think here. This one for a second. You know, I I think I'll go back to the whole the whole thing about my my dad. You know, my dad was a tough cookie, and I think I I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier when I talked about mentorship. Um, you know, it, it, I can count on a handful of times that he, you know, the times that he told me I love, you know, he loved me. And so we had a really dark period in our relationship for many years, just because I was kind of done with him, you know, telling me I was wrong and all those kind of things. And uh, so I went through a long period and then, you know, I had my family and then he had his grandsons and then all of a sudden things got a little bit better between us, you know. And, uh, you know, I spent the last 16 days with him at, at his bedside and uh, we did a lot of really cathartic healing then you know i learned about the person that he was i learned what made him tick and what you know what got him to that headspace and it was tough like it's stuff that none of us will ever go through you know when we talk about dei and civil rights and you know being a black officer he was the first commissioned black officer from you know state of kansas he had all these titles and all these things that he had done in the military that i had no idea until those those days um, and, and so that period, so I guess, you know, I feel personally uh, that I feel that I allowed that, 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 you know, those feelings that I had with him, um, you know, kind of keep me from having that relationship that I wish I would have started a lot earlier than the last 16 days. Right. So. Well, Bill, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today in our first kitchen table episode ever. I'm honored, man. I'm honored to That's be here. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. Episode two will be, uh, Bill's going to coin this term constructive leadership. But until then, thank you everybody for tuning in today. We hope that you found this time valuable. We hope that we've inspired you to take action and to lead. Until next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious.